Hi everyone, Dave here. Uh, it's time today to do our second Meet the Fan. Uh, now the first one that we did with Vladimir Hollard I thought was absolutely brilliant uh, talking about how you become a mad Chesterfield fan when you're based in Ukraine and it had such an amazing response uh, that here we are with number two. Um, so number two is with Daryl Carpenter. Now he's been watching Chesterfield for over half a century so has a huge memory bank of Chesterfield memories to go through and we had a little dig into them. Um, we talked a lot about people like Kevin Randall and some of the managers throughout the years and just some key memories from the old Saltergate ground to the new one and what I'm really loving about these Meet the Fans is that you see how special the memories are that are created through football matches. Now everyone probably has one of those moments that they remember from their life of watching football. A moment that they've shared with a loved one or with a group of friends uh, that will always stick in the memory and um, kind of in both the first episode with uh, Vladimir and then with one, this, this one with Daryl I've kind of teared up um, in both of them because it's just amazing seeing how, how a, a kind of silly game in many ways really two bunch of players just trying to kick a ball into a net uh, kind of evokes so much emotion from us fans so I hope you enjoy listening to it as much as uh, me and Daryl enjoyed recording it here is our second meet the fan with Daryl Carpenter Where did your Spyrite journey begin? Wow. Um, Boxing Day, 1967. We, Dad took me and my brother, who was four years older than me, um, I was seven, hmm. to watch uh, the game on Boxing Day against Workington Town. Which shows, <laughs> shows my age, doesn't it? And the reason he took me was because we'd been pestering him for weeks. Um, because we were top of the league, uh, scoring goals for fun. I think we played 11 or 12 home games up to that time and won them all. So uh, he, he, finally, he finally gave in and took us because Dad had been going for donkey years since, well, pre-war really. Um, and uh, of course, town being town, we drew nil nil in front. In front of 16,000 plus. Um, and there began a slow decline for the remainder of the season. And we didn't even make the, the four to go up, you know. I think Luton went up actually as champion. Um, don't remember much about the following season, only that it was a howler. And I think we just avoided re election as it was at the time. Mm -hmm. And then Jim McGuigan came in and uh, we were pestering Dad again. Um, and so I saw most, if not all, matches of 69-70, which of course, once that's in your blood, you're finished, aren't you? Really? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it was a, they were a fantastic team, played great football, full stadium at Saltergate, night match. I used to love night matches. Mm. And, uh, you know, as a kid, when you're going along, it's evocative smells, isn't it? You know, Bovril and you know, liniment and God knows what else. And yeah. It was just, yeah, days you'll never forget. Days you'll never forget. And who were the, who were the, your first favourite players then? Oh, one in particular, 
Everybody says Ernie, don't they? And I loved Ernie, but my hero was Kevin Randall. Mm. Kevin Randall, for me, was a god. And uh, a funny, funny story associated with that. Years later, my brother's also called Kevin. And I had a son. And uh, his mother and I could not decide on the name. Um, and right at the death, I said, oh, let's call him Kevin. Well, it was twofold. I know it would cause great hilarity at family get-togethers when mother called Kevin and both my brother and my son turned towards her, which it's done for 30 odd years. It's wonderful. Um, but what neither of them knew until I divulged it last year was I actually I was naming him after Kevin Randall. <laughs> uh, now, Kevin Randall was a, was a god to me. And one game in particular stands out for me. We went away in the cup. It must have been 71-ish. We actually had a cup run. We got the third round of the FA Cup, which for town, of course. Yeah, proper cup run. Yeah, proper cup run, yeah. Um, not doing your Christmas shopping before Christmas and stuff. Um, and, it, and we played Stoke away. And Stoke were a good side at that time. I think their manager was Tony Waddington. They were in the top, you know, they were in the first division. And they had Gordon Banks and Jimmy Green off and... You know, most of the side, I think, that won the League Cup for Stoke a few years later. Um, really good team. And we went, we went over here on a dark, dank, early January afternoon over the tops. Dad got lost because, of course, it was way before sat and stuff like that. So we could see the Victoria grounds that were lit up. Um, had to park miles away. Eventually got to the ground and went in the first entrance we found, which happened to be in the, in the home end. Uh, scrambled onto the terrace and there was a decent gate, 20, mid 20,000s. Sent fantastic because the lights were on, the atmosphere was crappy. All the, all the way as we're walking and getting near and near the ground, you can hear these oohs and ahs and whatever, and think, oh God, we're getting annihilated, you know. Got in, we were one nil down, <clears throat> but the guy next to us said, you're the best side that's been here this season. And your number nine is, is turning Mike Pedgick, who was an England left back, in knots, and it was Kevin Randall, and he was just sublime the whole game. He scored the equaliser, Stoke then got a fortuitous winner, but Gordon Banks produced save after save after save, and it was all him against Kevin Randall. The entire afternoon was him against Kevin Randall, and Mike Pedgick in a bit of a fluster. Couldn't get anywhere near Randall that day. So stuff like that sticks in your mind, even in defeat. And uh, so, yeah, Kevin Randall was my my first hero, really. Tell me, like, what type of player he was, because obviously I'm I not really seen that much footage of him actually playing. So, what kind of player was he? You're not of my vintage days. That's what you say. Uh, he was he was a player you never see these days. He was he was a winger that could also play more in an inside. An old inside left, inside right channel, two totally two-footed, and he had this gait to him when he ran, where he could slow people down, virtually to a stop, and then knock it by him and just give himself two or three yards to whip across it. It, it was just terrific. Either foot, great balance, had the most fantastic side boots. Things that came down here, they were they were, they were literally three inches wide. They were. Wonderful, you know, 1970s stuff. And um, 
yeah, he, he just had everything kept it. Um, scored goals, laid goals on. I mean, him and Mossy as a combination were just out of this world. But I'm sure, God bless him, Mossy, if he was here, would say what what a great partner Kev was. Probably the best he ever had, I would have thought. Yeah. It's interesting because a few players that I've spoken to, they really don't remember the matches they played in it all. <laughs> I asked them, like, oh, tell me about the matches from that scene. Like, don't remember any of them. <laughs> because I suppose they play hundreds of them and adrenaline means that they just go through a game without even remembering it. But, but the, I think it was Dave Caldwell that was saying that fans come up to him and can just reel off match after yeah. match after match in, in minute detail. So so what were some of your like standout... I mean, we're talking like over 50 years or something, aren't we? So what are some of your standout matches? Uh, well, back, going back to that 69-70 season, Mossy got all four in a 4-0 win against Newport, I think. Early and it was early in the season, maybe September, October time. And in them days, on match of the day, you had like a game, sometimes two, but they had like a football roundup bit as well um, that they used to do. And they actually mentioned Mossy's four goals, which bearing in mind we were in Division Four, was oh, you know uh, fell off the sofa, sofa stuff. So, uh, so that was one. And then late on in. Late on in the season, as we were going to what we felt was promotion, we had some humdingy matches against Port Vale, Wrexham and Swansea, the three that went up with us. But one in particular, we seemed to have this um, aura about the whole club. and They played Swansea Town, as they were then, in, in late on in the season, maybe March, April time. Big game, six-pointer type thing as it would be today. Um, and my brother, God bless him, uh, who, who's now residing in Australia, has been for many years. Um, I'd, I'd been playing football with him up the garden uh, a few days before, and I put in a perfectly legitimate tackle, and he went down and broke his elbow. So we ended, we ended, we ended up taking him to the game with his pot on a sling or whatever. And Daddy insisted we didn't go on the cock because of that. So we went and stood on the on the cross street as part of what you might have heard of, Dave, is the moving population, which used to go round the pitch at half-time, you know, okay. to whichever end town we're attacking. Anyway, we didn't that night. We stood on the cross street because there was a bit more room. But the atmosphere that night was 16,000 plus. It was just electric. I think we drew nil, nil but yeah, great, great memories. Um, um, it, was, uh, it was a season and a half that. There was Dan Archer just running things in midfield. Tom Fennerty, legs box to box. Dave Pugh, again, a man with magnificent sideburns. Couldn't shoot, but a good good midfield player. I remember him getting a cap for Wales under-23s and we thought, God, we've got a player here. You know? um, no, nobody from town got a cap of any sort from any country. Uh, and then there was um, uh, like Charlie Bell at the back, who was an absolute rock. You know, big, tall fella, great in the areas you'd expect to be in those days. And a guy who'd come in early on in the season or late the previous season was Alan Stevenson, who was a local lad and a real top-quality goalkeeper. Uh, of course, soon went on to Burnley and had a fantastic career and then came back as part of the end of the era thing, didn't he? Um, but, yeah, it was... Uh, that Swansea match stands out. And also, I think after that, 
I think we beat Bradford Park Avenue 4-0 at home on a Friday night. We, we seem to have a, a thing for playing the odd game on a Friday night for some reason. Um, and that one sticks in the memory. Four goals. I remember Bradford playing in a, an all-white strip with a green and black hoop across the chest. And, of course, they soon went out of the league and stuff like that sticks with you, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. How, how has watching Chesterfield changed over the years? Because obviously we've gone to kind of all-seaters, haven't we? And capacities yeah. would have been, you know, you look at some of the Saltergate capacities from years gone by and you're like, how many, how did they fit that many people in? <laughs> but, yeah. um, but like, how has it changed over the years? Well, when you got above 15,000, it was cosy, I'll tell you. Um, I think the biggest crowd I ever saw as in front of was Barnsley. Hmm. Uh, one Boxing Day, 70s. They had a decent side at the time. I think it was 17,000 odd. And bearing in mind, at the same time, we were playing both Sheffield clubs quite regularly. For that to be the, the biggest game. But yeah, that was that was cosy. Um, yeah, the experience is totally different. I mean, you know, roofs on toilets and stuff like yeah. that. <laughs> not, puddling, not puddling about with uh, people's urine all over your feet, which was the norm at Saltergate. But it had a great charm, the old place. Uh, I mean, I, I've, I, I sat in the wing stand for many years with my dad, progressed to the cop, then as I got a bit older, ended up on the Compton Street. Then when the um, CFSS thing came along and they redid the cop, I went back on the cop for a bit of nostalgia. Um, so, yeah, I've done, and as I say, was part of the moving population. That was, yeah. you know, just taking this red that you were going to go to the other end where we turned around. <laughs> and that and um, and like you say, like Saltergate night matches, yeah, they, they were just brilliant because you it was on top of the hill and you got kind of the 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 wind swirling around and rain swirling around and yeah. it was I mean those and even the players all the players that I speak to the night matches at Saltergate is the thing that seems to sp- stick out for them so it was obviously special for players and and fans those games. The, if you got a decent cup game of a of a, of a a night match. I mean, you you probably went to the sort of West Ham, Man City, Charlton. I mean, they yeah. were they were just great nights. Um, and um, there's something special about a night game um, in an antiquated old ground. I mean, the lights originally weren't very good, to be honest. Um, <clears throat> if it was anything like a mist coming down, you couldn't see the far side. Uh, but as you you used to you used to rush home from school and get your tea and you know get on the bus or go in the car and yeah as soon as you saw it lit up on the hill there there was a certain excitement in the air weren't they uh, mm. um, and all the sights and sounds and smells are going to a game which you don't quite get these days I have to say we're a bit more sanitised yeah definitely are, th- are there any like unsung heroes that you think amongst players that you've seen over the years that just kind of never get remembered or mentioned that you really oh, like? That's a good one, Dave. I wish you'd have dropped that to me. <laughs> Should have done, shouldn't I? <laughs> um, some heroes. Lee Rogers, I would have to say. Nobby, hmm. who played, ooh, I don't know, 300 and odd, maybe more games. Never let you down. Played all across the back. Um uh, just a seven out of ten man week after week. Reminds me a bit actually from that point of view of George Carline now. Mm. Who you just know you're gonna get a seven out of ten out yeah. of you, wherever you're playing. Uh, so Nobby Nobby would have been one. Uh 
I mean, going back to that original team, one of my heroes was Albert Holmes, who to me was just the epitome of a fullback. Stocky, chunky, turn of pace. Loved to slide tackle, did Albert. He, did, he didn't mind sliding, taking man ball and everything over the touch line and into the Compton. Um, so I had, I had a lot of affection for Albert. I sometimes think about it, and I usually come up with fullbacks. It's funny, really. I don't know whether that's just a position where they, they're a bit unnoticed. Yeah. And, but when you've got a good set of fullbacks, yes. <laughs> everything just seems to happen from them. But they are, I, do, I do think they are a bit underappreciated fullbacks sometimes. Yeah, no, that's probably true. I mean, we, will, we would be remiss not to mention Jamie Hewitt, wouldn't we? Particularly yes. what happened at Old Trafford. Um, I'll never forget when, uh, when he scored that and the, the look on his face. You know, I think it was Martin Taylor and Andy Gray said, you know, local lad scores the equaliser and whatever. You could just see the sheer joy, uh, as well as from the 25,000 or whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah. Beaumont. Good early cross. Very good early cross. Get! Good point to go on to that actually, because it's twenty fifth anniversary this year. So, yeah. Um, I mean, to you still, does it? I mean, I think for every Chesterfield fan, it, it probably still rankles a bit, doesn't it, that we didn't get an FA Cup final? Oh, we were robbed. I mean, there's just there's no two ways about it. Uh, we were robbed. I mean, John Howard's shot was over the line, clearly over the line. John Sheffield, who was the linesman, gave it and was running back to the halfway. Uh, you know who didn't give it for some reason. Not only did he not give it, but then he then proceeded to watch Andy Morris be jumped all over, which would have been a penalty to us, and gave the free kick to middle. I mean, it's just... Yeah. And, and what would that have made? 3-1 to us? Game over. Game With a John Duncan team, them down to 10 men. I don't care whether they've got Ravinelli, Giannini or whoever, that was game over. Mm. Uh, well, they could have been down to nine as well, couldn't they? Because there was, yes. um, yeah. you know, there's probably another player that should have got a second yellow, and they probably should have been down to nine. So it's but Clayton Blackmore springs to mind, and uh, I think Ellery had already booked him, uh, and then he went in and did another one. And Ellery ran across, took a card out, realised what he'd done, and put the card back. You know, yeah. And I think someone said that Ellery had admitted the mistake in a book, but. I'm, I couldn't read anything Ellery wrote anyway. It's too, it's too painful. <laughs> so, yeah. And, and I remember watching the, the final. It was Middlesbrough-Chelsea, wasn't it? The final, a few weeks later. And I think Di Matteo scored after about 10 seconds. Yeah. Uh, and all through the game, I'm just thinking, we'd have put up a better show than this. Mm. Um, I always felt 
the FA didn't want. We'd had enough romance. They really didn't want a non-top-flight team in the cup final. That, that's, that's my overriding feeling with it, 25 years later. <laughs> but one, one thing I'll never forget of the day, which was a, a terrific day, wasn't it, going over to, to Old Trafford. Streets lined with people applauding you to go into Chatsworth Road or whatever town it was. The colour around the town for weeks beforehand, and the, I mean, it gripped the whole town. Everyone was a Chesterfield supporter. All the shops were decorated, weren't they? We were all driving around with little, uh, what was it, blue and white um, ribbons on our car aerials and stuff. Yeah. It was, it was a terrific time. But I, I, I managed. I managed to get four tickets, but I couldn't get them together. So my mum sat with my lad and my dad sat with me. And my dad and my mum had stopped going to games a, a while before through ill health and stuff. But I said, you go, you know, you've not watched them as long as you have and you, you're going to miss out on this one. Yeah. And when it, when it was 3-2 to Borough, um, I remember looking at my watch and thinking, not got long now. And my dad turned to me and he says, it's over, son. We haven't got time. And I sort of snapped back at him um, and said, ah, not yet. You know? <laughs> and immediately, Chris Beaumont kept that ball in and whipped it into the middle. And when we scored, of course, it was delirium. And I turned to my dad just to say to him, you know, I told you we could do it. And he was just stood there. This is a bloke in his... He'd have been in his 70s at the time. Just tears running down his face. I didn't need to say anything else to yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, um, yeah, it's, it's an image I'll never forget. Never forget. Yeah. Well, even watching even watching that goal now, it kind of makes me well up watching that goal yeah. just because it's like, it's one of those, in, many times in football, you get things that script writers for TV and films, like, couldn't write it because it's yes. just, I was talking to, like, Glyn Hurst about, scoring that goal against Luton, you know, and it's just yeah. like, you can't write things like that. And they're just those moments where maybe fans that have, you, you bottle things up from other things that might be happening in your life or, or whatever. And it can sometimes all come out in like one goal. That's, that's just incredible. Really. Yeah. I mean, that, that Glyn Hurst goal was something else, but the thing you talk about associations you get with certain times in your life, whether it be, music or food or films or whatever it might be. Um, and, and not long after we, we'd performed The Great Escape, Phil Whiteley, uh, sorry, Pete Whiteley had put a, uh, a video up, an old scratchy video up of it on YouTube years later, and had overdubbed it with The Great Escape music. And I must have watched that a hundred times since, usually when we're having a bad season and I'm wondering. <laughs> inspiration that we're going to get out of. Always hope, yeah. yeah always hope. And, uh, yeah, when, when Glyn scores that, the picture kind of breaks up as he's running to the crowd and then comes back again. But the music, whenever I hear The Great Escape, now that is it. You know, that game, that goal is is what, what epitomises The Great Escape. Yeah. yeah. And, and obviously, as a Chesterfield fan, there's good times and bad times, of which there's been... Plenty of bad times. Um, yeah. How how, do, how as as a as a as someone where it's in your blood from 
for like over 50 years. How, how do you get through those bad times? Because there's been some dark ones, hasn't there? I've, well, I'm going to admit something here that only my nearest and dearest friends and family know about. Uh, I actually lost the faith um, very recently. Um, last full season we played. Hmm. Um, I, I just, I think it was the game, did we lose five something to either Hartlepool or Halifax or how? And we were in the bottom, might be bottom, bottom two or three, whatever. Yeah. I think it was just before John Sheridan came in. Uh, and I just thought, I can't take this any longer. And he got to half time and left and said, I, I can't come back. And it's not because I don't love my club or whatever, but it's, it's just, I've just had four years of pain and I can't take any more. And I, genuinely, that was it. I was done. And I have a group of guys that I've been going to matches with since, I don't know where. And we all sit together in, in, in a a block of us in the East End called the East End Massive because we're getting a bit rotund, you know. <laughs> and uh, I kept getting messages saying, oh, we've turned corner, it's getting better, come on back, guys. I couldn't I couldn't face it, stop following it on Twitter, stop looking at school, because it was just too painful. Because if you just said to me, I remember driving home that night, uh, having, uh, they let me out at half time, and there were tears in my eyes as I'm driving. I had to keep sort of wiping tears away because it had just got so painful. And I, th I, I, I thought, if we go down to the conference north, we're, we're done. Um, I couldn't see a way back at that point. Um, I think we're on our way back now. But, you know, that, that was the lowest without that. Even going out of the Football League, which was... I think we almost slept walked into that day, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as, as a supporter, as long as I've been a supporter, if you'd have said to me we've been non-league, I mean, it's town, come on. We'll have an ups and downs, we flirt between the bottom league and the third league, but relegation out of the football league. To me, the whole time we've been at the Pro Act, as it was, beating a Pro Act technique as in there, it's just been one missed opportunity after another. I mean, that first year, moving in, massive crowds, great football. Craig Davis is incredible, you know, shooting goals. Jack, Jack getting that unbelievable hat-trick against Rotherham on that Friday night on telly. When we went up that season, we didn't invest. We let Craig Davis go. We didn't invest. I know we lost. Tommy through injury, we lost Jack through injury. We lost the entire spine of the team. I think Mattis got injured and Simon Ford's knees were gone. And but you think a little bit of investment then would have been fine, but we didn't, did we? And the only solace out of that season was the JPT, wasn't it? Mm. And then a few years later, to have wasted another opportunity, because Cookie gets us up playing arguably better football, uh, takes us to Wembley again, gets us into the flipping playoffs. I mean, we're, we're two games away from the promised land, aren't we? Um, and then, you know, talking to Phil Tooley, he put that famous post on Bob's board saying, get ready, lads, it's coming. This is 
this is the best it's going to be for some time. And people had a right to it, so I remember it. I mean, I've known Phil longer than uh, I care to remember, 30 plus years. And uh, they gave him dogs only. They were saying, what are you on about? What? But he obviously knew what was coming. Dave Allen had pulled in the purse strings. Cookie was off, he'd had enough. The squad was basically going to be dismantled and not rebuilt. And so that, that was another missed opportunity. And that's the way I feel about all the years down there, really. Well, you remember those two great promotion seasons. It's just, we just should have moved on. Yeah. And it's funny when you speak to players, because both, both of those seasons when we went, went up into League One, yeah. both of those summers, they didn't back the manager. And I mean, it's, it's, it's really testament of the squad Cook had that yeah. went up into League One because he wanted to sign Leon Clark and yeah. all the players and like the rug was pulled from underneath him. Uh, so yeah. to even to get in the playoffs that season was remarkable because I think it probably was all went to that pre-season from League Two to League One that kind of uh, kind of put an end to the relationship, I suppose, with yeah. it was probably the writing was on the wall probably as early as then, probably. Yeah, and you, you can look back and say, you know, hindsight's a perfect science, isn't it? But I don't think it would have taken a lot to have added. You, you keep, because it was a youngish squad too, so just to add to it. But we knew, didn't we, when, when Doyle went, and, and this is no reflection on Doyle, people you've said, you know, he could have stayed a bit longer. Well, you know, he was, he was a, a youngish bloke with, with a new family, I think he was going from 1500 a week with us to 15 grand a week at, at Cardiff. What would you do? You know, yeah, yeah. Um, he'd scored 30 goals in half a season. Was he ever going to happen again? Probably not, you know. But then, uh, who did we try and replace him with? Byron Nelson, uh, Byron Harrison. Yeah. I'm thinking, come on, give Cocky a, something to work with, you know. So it was a miracle we actually got in the playoffs. Mm. Uh, because I mean, at one point he was playing, he was playing Ollie Banks at the centre forward, wasn't he? It's still, it was yeah, yeah. Eddie Port in a storm, but we we kept getting results, and, we, and it was finally found out when we met the class actor that year in that division. Now they hadn't gone up anyway, which was a shame. It might have been easier, uh, but when you got uh, Beckford up front and Garner, and I think they got Kevin Davis and a another top striker on the bench. Mm. Yeah. yeah. If you'd have stuck back in that Chesterfield team. You'd <laughs> <laughs> have had a field day, wouldn't it? Yeah. So I was going to ask you whether you describe yourself as a as a glass, glass half full or a glass half empty fan. But I suppose that's maybe changed throughout the years, has it? No, you I think I think you will know the answer to that. I'm definitely half full. Well, <laughs> more than half full usually. Uh, my pals, who I've known a long time, always say I look at the world through blue-tinted spectacles, uh, which is why it came as such a shock to him when I finally succumbed uh, season before last and couldn't take it anymore because he thought, God, you know, if, if Daz, the world's biggest Chesterfield optimist, has hit the buffers, there's no hope for the rest of us gone. Yeah. Uh, so, no, I'm definitely, I'm definitely exceeding half full, Dave. Yeah, yeah. good. Um, I wondered if there's any um, like favourite possessions or things that you've had from over the years. Did you ever used to collect autographs or oh, or anything like that over the years? Yeah, autographs in in a little book 
um, which which I gave to the trust quite recently, along with programs dating back to the late '60s, because I thought I keep moving them from house to house and, and look at them once every you know blue moon, and and at least it could go as part of Pete's archive, or maybe filling some holes where they they haven't got programs and stuff. Um, I did, wish you get, I, did you get I, anything from Saltergate? Did you get any? Uh, yeah, I've got I've got a brick. <laughs> I've got a brick. I've still got a brick. Uh, Palomine, I think, got one of the one of the turnstiles. John, he got one of the turnstiles, which is sits neatly in his back garden these days, uh, newly painted on an annual basis. He uses it as a as a drink stand when he's out having a barbecue. And stuff. <laughs> um, but no, I, I got a brick. Um, which is still on, on the side in my kitchen and I look at it on a daily basis. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I've still got my uh, uh, my two seats from Compton Street. And it, it took me 10 years to put the, put them up in the garden because it comes with massive bolts and you look at it after you bought it and think, oh, am I going to put that up? But I managed to do it last summer during, uh, like a, a summer ago during lockdown and I kind yeah. of go up to the garden every now and then and have a sit on my old, <laughs> on my old salt gate seat. <laughs> And gaze out with happy memories. To watch the world go by. Yeah. So, so what are your then? So, so what made you then come back? Oh, I got pestered to death, mate. I got <laughs> pestered to death. There was a slight upturn in in results, and I thought we might actually get out of this and not go down to the conference north. Um, but my, it was my mates. They, they just, it was continual flipping bombardment um, until I gave in, really. And then, you know, it never really went away, did it? But it was, I cannot express, I mean, I'm sure there'll be some town fans out there who know exactly how I felt. It was just, I just felt I'd been punched for five years solid. And even with my degrees of resilience, I'd had enough. I just couldn't, it, it was painful going to watch. Instead of it being an experience and something to look forward to, you dreaded the games coming round. It got to that point. You thought, I'm thinking, why are you doing this to yourself, you lunatic? <laughs> it's, it's funny, isn't it? Because when you're a football fan, like um, you, you, you kind of can be a realist throughout the week. You know, if Chesterfield were playing Man City in the Cup next weekend, throughout the week I'd be a realist going, well, they're probably going to spank us like 10 nil. But there's that 10 minutes before kickoff where you're like, we can beat these. Yeah. We can have these. But during that that time that you're talking about, there was not one point where I wasn't, when I ever had that point where I'm like, we can beat no. these. I always thought, right, when's it coming? And then after like 10 minutes, we'd let a goal and you're like, well, there it is then. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, don't, no disrespect to any of the teams down here. And I've, I have to say, I, I, I've been surprised at the National League. I, I think the standard of it is far higher than I ever thought it was. Uh, and I think there are a lot of teams down there trying to play football the right, what I would call the right way. Mm. It's not the hoop or, yeah, you've got to be physical, you've got to win the physical battle and all that kind of stuff. And they're organised and whatever. There's one or two teams that I, I wouldn't, wish to watch very often, you know, boring wood and one or two others. But as a general rule, I've been surprised at the standard. Uh, and one of the things I don't think most of us could get our heads around, and I think that was part of me coming back really, Dave, thinking about it, 
I accepted, I finally accepted that we were a non-league team. I think that is the key point to actually getting out of it. Like yes. you spend a few seasons going, they're rubbish, that's three points. They're rubbish, that's three points. <laughs> but then you get to a point, don't you, where you're like, where I remember when we played Wealdstone a few weeks ago, I was like, it's going to be a really tough game. Like anyone can beat anyone. And, and you kind of go to it thinking it's going to be a tough game against Wealdstone. Whereas two years previous, I'd have been like, that's five nil. Yeah, and then you get you you get done by him, don't you? And I think no. maybe I remember a Tranmere fan when we went down, put yeah. something on the message board saying, "Oh, you'll think it's really entertaining for the first six months because you go into Dover and places like that." But then after six months, you'll realise that Dover are better than you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's when you'll wake up to it. And it does. It takes a few seasons, but finally you get to that point where you're like, actually, everyone can beat anyone. It's just eleven people versus eleven other people, isn't it? Well, funny story related to that. Last, when was it? Last Monday, we went to Kings Lynn. Three of us went to Kings Lynn. Three of the East End Massive went to Kings Lynn. Uh, for two of us, I think we've been away t- twice or three times in the whole time we've been in this league. Hmm. The other one, Andy, has never been away when we've been in this league because he refused point blank to accept we weren't in the EFL in his own mind. Mm. And even he's accepted now and, and has been to King's Lynn. So maybe there is hope there. We've all suddenly, we, it's dawned on a generation of spirites that we are where we are for a reason. We've got to get out. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that you're right with what you're saying. You looked at teams and how the hell can we be losing to Maidenhead or the part-time for God's sake, you know, or, Crazy, yeah. We, yeah. we should have learned all those years going out in the FA Cup first round. Yeah. Teams that are non-league, we should have really learned that lesson before before a few years. So yeah. if I'm going to ask you to kind of finish off, your, if you could pick one player and one manager right now, because obviously it's going to change week by week, day by day, but right now if you could pick one, one ex-Chesterfield player and one ex-Chesterfield manager as your top of the tree, which ones would it be? Right, well, the, the player one, uh, has been the same for years. Uh, and then it changed. So you, you'll understand from my musings about Kevin Randall that he was Kevin Randall. Hmm. I, I, Kevin Randall was a god to me. But the best footballer I think I've ever seen in the township was Jack Lester. Jack Lester, for me, on his day, the best player I've ever seen in the township. I thought Kevin Davis as a kid, coming in, came close to both Kev and Jack. But for me, Jack, the things Jack did when he was playing, yeah, Jack. Those that turned up at the B2 net were treated to a goal-scoring masterclass from Jack Lester. The veteran striker had the table toppers ahead after just 13 minutes. And the team with the leakiest defence in League 2 held out until just past the hour when Lester served up something really special. His sumptuous second, described later as one of the best of his career, had the Spyrites back in control. Still on a high after that, the 35-year-old was soon celebrating his first hat-trick in three years, made all the more memorable given his parents were there to see it. It's, it's funny because it's, it's only twice in my 
time supporting Chesterfield where I've actually said to myself, you need to enjoy this because you're not going to see it again. And that was some of the football when Paul Cook was manager. Yeah. Um, and it was whenever Jack played. Because like you said, it was just kind of the way he could just turn in and out and go through three or four players. But, uh, but then the way he just kind of was so calm and collected in how he would score a goal. You know, it never, it never blast it or, yeah. or shin it or anything like that. It was always... It was always a cool finish, even after he'd taken it past six or seven players. Just incredible. Somebody put recently, didn't they, that goal up against Stockport when he turned half the team inside out, ran past them, and then chipped it majestically above the kick. I mean, yeah, it was. It's Jack. Jack. Jack's got number one spot in my heart at the moment. I tell you, he could change. But yeah, could change. But I don't. I don't think Kabongo is quite there yet. Yeah. And what about manager? Um, again, between two. And you wouldn't be surprised at the eras either. Jim McGuigan uh, was such... I'd got the town playing such wonderful football. He was also a brilliant um, details man. Hmm. I don't know how many town fans of my old... You, you've spoken to, but we, we had this thing on corners where Jim McGuigan would sit Tom Fennerty and or Kevin on the near post. Dan Archer would knock the ball in at head height and they would just flick it back. It's near post header. First time anybody had ever done it, you know, at any level that we could recall because football wasn't on telly that much of those days. But anyway, <laughs> and they did this flick on and then either Kevin and or Mossy coming in at the back stick or Charlie Bell or somebody to bury the header. And the number of goals we got off that back flick in that promotion season was uncanny. Or at least my memory is such that it was, you know. But I think any town fan of that era will tell you the, yeah, the attention to detail with Jimmy was fantastic. And he had, he had the perfect guy, the foil for him on the pitch because Dan Archer couldn't run. But my God, he could organise a team. You know, his passing was impeccable. He was, he was a lovely, lovely footballer. Hard as nails, too. But a gentleman along with it. But Dan Archie was the very embodiment of Jimmy McGuigan on the pitch. And, and I think I think they must have been telepathic because Jim thought something Dan was on the pitch and, and acted it for him and got the other players around him to do what he wanted him to do. So, yeah. Jim... I mean, I've a lot of affection for Cookie's time. It was so exciting. And one of the funny things I remember from Cookie, he had this hand, a habit, David, you'll remember it, away games, where he used to come out a few minutes before kickoff and go across to the supporters and basically clap us and get us riled up for the game. And uh, it was in the middle of when he was, it must have been the second season, so he, or third season, so he'd taken us up. And we were, we were on the decent running league, uh, whatever we are, third tier. And um, he was going to a, an AGM to do a manager's Q&A. And they, they held it in the hub. And I'm stood outside as he walked past. I said, oh, Paul, how are you going on? Blah, blah, blah. We got chatting. And, uh, and I said, I've always meant to ask you, I said, why, why do you do this thing of coming out? You know, no other manager we've ever had has done that. It's coming out before the game. He says, well, they never boo you before the match. <laughs> and I thought, that's some cookie up, you know, with his scouse humour. 
I'll yeah. go cookie. Okay. I'll go cookie. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you can't argue really. And and if he had have got us into the championship, yeah, then, then it would have been. He probably would have been clear ahead then, wouldn't he? He'd, he'd have a statue, wouldn't he? Yeah. I mean, um, I, I like Paul. I know. I know he. Uh, you hear rumours of certain nefarious activities with him, that perhaps. But I, I loved his sense of humour. I loved his football. His football philosophy. Um, I love the fact his voice cracked up when he was interviewed. There was nothing else to like about Cookie, really. Um, he was a legend, and he'll always be seen as that here. Mm. Uh, um, and you know, when he when he looks back at his career, he he will have massive regret. I think that he he wasn't able to persuade the powers that be just to give him that extra yeah. two or three players because. If anyone can in my lifetime, and this has always been, my dad's been telling me, he's been long gone, my, by the way, my dad, but he used to tell me about the glory days in the second division after the war. And I, my one hope in life before I leave this mortal coil is that I have just one season in the championship as is now. Yeah. That's all I want out of life, you know. I will die happy if that happens. <laughs> And, even even uh, if you ended up with, with zero points. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care, mate. I can go to a whole raft of grounds, most of which I've never been to. Yeah. And it's a bit like a team, you know, that's, you know, with greater expectation than they're also their one season in the sun in the Premier League. Um, and it, it may mean we collapse afterwards. I don't really care. You know, throw at you whatever you like. We'll come back as a feelings club after it all goes wrong. Alayova, you know, but... <laughs> Just give me that one season. Because when I look at Scunthorpe's been up there two or three times, plenty Mansfield went up there, didn't they? Um, you know, Yeovil have been up there, Burton have been up For God's sake, you know, we're bigger than all of them. It was a dream when, when you were in school. You knew fairly early on if you were ever going to be good enough. But like, just to, I, I used to love going with Dad to Chesterfield boys games. Uh, and you know, when the t- tickets went on sale at school to go and watch Chesterfield boys in the English school's trophy and stuff. And great, again, great Saltergate nights with the lights on. I remember Chesterfield boys playing Liverpool boys, Manchester boys, I think, with no chance. You know what I mean? The size of those cities, we've absolutely no chance. But uh, I did actually work for many years with a guy who played in the... Uh, in the Chesterfield team that got to the English schools and played Swans in late fifties, I think. So it, it was possible then, probably not possible now, but you just have that, you know, you're a town boy, born and bred, you're a fan, you love football. Maybe, just maybe I might get one game on the hallowed turf. Yeah. And, and like when I was talking to Regan Hutchinson, he made like, what, two appearances for Chesterfield? Yeah. No. I was. I said to him, like, literally, just give me one sub appearance, five minutes. Yeah. Stick me up front for the last five minutes in a match, and like that is it. Life, I've been made up. Yeah. <laughs> I think they should do it. Like once a season, they should have some kind of lottery or something to have an appearance for Chesterfield that all the fans could enter, and and they they give you a squad number for, and for one match. You know, when the it's a shame you can't have like a, a fan sub or something like that. So if a club is ever. 3 0 up with two minutes left. You can stick them on and just make their life for two minutes. Hey, I tell you what, why don't we suggest that to Crutey? 
we, we should do. Yeah, a lottery. You know, 10, 10 quid a ticket. Yeah, right, or something like that. And then once once a season. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it could even you know you get a place on the bench or something. Yeah. <laughs> you don't even have to. You could be an unused sub. It'd probably be quite fun just having an experience of being in the dressing room before well, it, a match. It would. It would. But just to get like you say, just that. You know, it's injury time, not against Bromley, obviously, but injury time, you're two or three or Yeah. You know, come on. You're on. Come on, James, put Get me on. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm comes a, yeah, a 75-year-old Chesterfield <laughs> fan. 